As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman, and joined for the second time in the last couple months, the man who was sure to remind us that he had never been on the Audible before that, our colleague Max Olson. Unbanned. I appreciate it, guys. It's it's great to to see your uh, your smiling faces on this uh, Wednesday morning. Max is our transfer portal guru, and so we want to talk to him about a, a really interesting story he put up on The Athletic on Tuesday about a kid who is stuck in the portal. And Max, first, I want to just assure you that unlike the Andy Staples show, you will not have to consume any fast food sandwiches live on the air for this podcast. We're much more conventional. So you're saying we will not pause in the middle of this podcast and I won't have to go to McDonald's to go pick up multiple fish sandwiches to, to finish out the podcast. Oh, I didn't realize that half that you, the, the going to, that wasn't pre-planned, buddy. It was a long day. No, that was not pre-planned. <laughs> No, we want to talk about this story. It's a really interesting story. Um, Chris Mole, a all-conference linebacker at UAB, goes in the transport. I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, Chris Mole, um, you know, is, is a guy that I've kept an eye on. Um, you know, I kind of have my in, in, in tracking the portal and in, in doing our um, rankings of the best available players in the portal. Um, Chris Mole is a guy that stood out to me back in December as, as a player that, you know, uh, was a two-time first team, um, you know, all conference pick at, at UAB and conference USA and, um, had a super productive, uh, you know, career there was one of the best defensive players in the conference and helped them win, uh, two conference titles while he was there. He went in the portal at the start of December and, you know, four months later, he isn't anywhere. And so I, I connected with him on Monday and, and we talked about what the, 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 just the portal experience has been like. And, um, you know, for everyone, it's a little bit different for, you know, we see, the, the, the big names have this experience where, you know, they have this long list of offers and um, they go take five official visits and, and you know, go through the, the real recruiting process. And in, in Chris Mole's case, uh, it probably should have gone pretty quickly. Um, he took an official visit to, to Louisville um, at the, you know, within a week of going in the portal. And in, in that case, Louisville brought him in. They had some questions about his size and durability. 
And they had a guy higher on their board, uh, Mohamed Sanogo from, from uh, Ole Miss and, and signed him and, uh, and, and passed on him. And ever since then, uh, you know, he, he, he admitted he kind of misplayed it a little bit. He, um, he, he ignored the group of five schools that had been reaching out to him because he thought I'm a power five player. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. You know, th- these kids all want to bet on themselves and, and prove that they're, um, you know, they can be one of the best in the country. And um, he ignored the group of five schools. So um, he, after, after Louisville didn't take him, he circled back on some of these schools that he'd kind of blown off and they'd already filled their spots. And, and, you know, then you hit January and uh, semesters get started and you don't have a place to go. So he's back home in Miami right now. And, um, he's, he's talking to coaches and trying to convince them to, uh, to pull the trigger on, on an offer. And, uh, he's, he told me he's, he's pretty willing to go anywhere at this point. Um, uh, he just wants to play. And, uh, you know, I think you, you hear a lot of coaches talk about this, this, um, this trend of players, uh, you know, getting, getting stuck in the portal and in the coach's opinion, making bad decisions and stuff. And, and Chris Mole is, uh, kind of a unique one in that I don't know that he made a bad decision, but it's, it's not been a very good experience so far. Well, what's the feeling like with Stu's favorite coach, Bill Clark? Is that a situation where this guy was, as you said in your story, ultra productive there? They know he can play at that level. They know he knows the culture of the place. So where does that stand? Yeah, and that's that's part of why I wanted to write about this is because I think that there's, you know, oftentimes you hear, uh, I think it's easy for us to kind of over oversimplify these stories and say, man, there's a lot of kids making bad decisions and they shouldn't be leaving and stuff like that. And, and in Chris Mole's case, like it's, it's more complicated than that. Um, he, he had a bunch of injuries at UAB and um, last year and four games in, he, he broke his right thumb and had to have, um, you know, he had to have surgery on that and um, in, in that situation, the, the coaching staff felt like he could keep playing with it and wanted him to and asked him to. And uh, he, he wasn't comfortable with doing that and, and, and just felt that um, it wasn't for the best. His, his weight was down. He, he, he kind of wanted to take the rest of the year off and, and recover and get his weight back up and, and you know, give it another go in, uh, here in 22. And the coaching staff disagreed with that. And, and so um, that led to, you know, kind of him not being around the team as much and understanding that it was best for both sides to move on. And, you know, sometimes it, it, there obviously there's two sides to that. And he didn't have anything bad to say about his coaches at UAB. He certainly was grateful for, um, you know, a, a great five-year run there. But um, sometimes these guys have to go in the portal and, and just understand that, um, you know, uh, it, it would be nice if that was an option to go back to UAB, but uh, he needs to find somewhere else to be. How much do you think in this case, you've dealt with a lot of transfer stories now and portal related stories. So here's a, here's a case where this guy had interest and then all of a sudden it's almost like, you know, this doesn't necessarily have to be about the portal, but it's like the, the scent is on you where all of a sudden people are like, mm, something must be up here because right. why is he getting passed over? This guy is really productive. What are we missing here? And, you know, just from knowing a lot of coaches, they're like, what's so-and-so and I'm not talking about this kid, but like what's so-and-so supposed to be like, and you don't always see a lot of circumstance. And I remember you pointed out one on social media where it was rare, but it does happen where like a school will have a position coach or a coach kind of give a testimonial about a player who's leaving. But in other times it's mm-hmm. like, you know, where, where do you like, how often does that play out? Because when it comes to the portal, it's not like, it's like, Oh, this, this kid left there going in the portal in bad academic standing, or he has, he was arrested five times, or he's always on lists. Like as you sort this through from your reporting side, maybe not just this kid's story, but like, how do you, how do you um, kind of wade through some of this? 
Yeah, it, it's fine. I remember talking about this with Lincoln Riley one time, and he made a comment. I think when the portal was really blown up, that he was like, "Look, there's there's usually a reason why they're in the portal, you know." And 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 when you kind of filter it down, how many guys in there would you actually take? Obviously, USC is taking a lot this offseason, so things have changed a little bit since he and I talked about that a few years ago. But um, certainly, there is kind of this this problem you have where the portal recruiting it just moves so fast. It it you know a lot of times these guys. Um, are making decisions in, in a matter of just a week or two or three and really only maybe taking a couple of visits before they, they lock it in. And that's because you have to. I mean, these spots fill up fast. In, in the case of, of Chris Mole, um, you know, Louisville had someone higher on their board and, you know, um, you know, SMU and Arizona and UCF were interested, but they found other guys and found pretty good players because there's a lot of competition for these spots right now. And so if and you let's be, on, let's be yeah. honest about this, though, there are times where guys are already locked up to a place before they even go in the portal. Totally. Yeah, there's there. There are players who commit a day after they go in the portal, and that's because they already figured it out. And honestly, when you think about the way the process goes. Like if you were a parent, you'd probably tell your kid to do the same. You would say, let's let's make sure you have somewhere to go before you make that move because you could end up in this spot where these other schools fill up or or they like you, but they like somebody else just a little bit better. And then you end up with um, you know, a situation where you're stuck and and you don't have schools. You know, right now he's in the situation where there, there are coaches who like him and are talking to him, but they say, I want to go through spring ball and see what we've got, or our numbers are a little bit tight. Or, you know, he, now he's have to kind of sit here and hope that there's going to be some guys that transfer in April that then suddenly there are schools that have a need at linebacker. And that's because it's not because he's not a good player. It's just there's a lot of good players out there right now. And and yeah, as you said, Bruce, like from the coaching side of it, you certainly have to do your homework because these coaches don't want to miss on any of these guys. You're usually taking a transfer because you need this guy to plug in and, and play a lot or start or lead you or whatever. And so um, you have to do the homework and, and, and there's going to be a lot of scrutiny that comes with that on the, on the player side that uh, you know, a lot of guys in the, in the portal, there's a reason why they're in there and, and not that many of them are just like no brainer takes. Yeah. I mean, I was, as I was reading it, I was thinking, okay, he's been stuck for this long, but, I think we're both, we're all expecting there to be another round, right? You've got the May 1st deadline coming up and kids are going to, kids are going to see where they are in the depth chart in spring practice and they're going to enter the portal and spots are going to free up. And then you've got Lincoln Riley for one, just kind of openly advertising, Hey, we're going to take a dozen more transfers. So um, not specific to him, but just in general, what are your expectations for, you know, we had that massive round of, of movement in shortly after the season. Right. What are you expecting in April? Yeah, I, I think the, 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 the pace we're on, I, I think you would sort of expect that there's going to be more transfers in April than there were last last April. Um, and, and right now I wrote, wrote about this, I think a month ago or so that just at, at the rate we were going midway through this, this 12 month portal cycle, we were heading towards, um, you know, over. 2000 scholarship FBS players entering the portal in a 12 month period. And so I'm interested to see, is that going to be the case in, in April? But, but certainly that may one deadline is the one that, that kids need to know. And, you know, I, I have talked with coaches who I think this, the, the benefit that they were given this year, where if you're losing players to the portal, you can replace up to seven with, with additional scholarships. I think that from, from talking to coaches, there are a lot out there who are saving spots who have, you know, three, four or five more uh, takes they can do at, you know, post spring or in the summer. And so, you know, I, I, I do think, I do think, first of all, these players, some of these players that are stuck in the portal will find landing spots that might, may not be at a power five level or, or at a, a very successful group of five program like they were hoping. 
but um, I think there will still be a lot of movement at the end of spring ball for these schools because, you know, that's, that's a situation where guys kind of get a better sense of how many, you know, how many reps you're really getting in scrimmages and stuff like that and, and where you really stand. And uh, certainly a lot of this is just driven by playing time. I, I, I'm getting to Stu's point a little bit about what we're expecting with an influx. So let's, let's kind of look at a little of the landscape now, because honestly, you may see on your timeline somebody announces they're going in or somebody tweets about a player going in. We obviously know, and some of them, if they were big recruits in high school, you know, there's like JT Daniels didn't really play last year at Georgia. really hadn't played much in a couple of years, um, but he was a former five-star. It plays the position quarterback. We know, you know, that there's West Virginia's out there. Oregon State is, is an option. Who else are guys – that are still out there that are probably on a whiteboard in your, in your uh, study somewhere in your, in your office. Yeah. Um, Daniels is, is a big one. And, you know, in his situation, it's, I, I think there's just not a ton of schools right now that, that um, have that kind of that clear need to go get a starter uh, out of the portal at quarterback. So yeah, as you mentioned, he's looking at West Virginia, uh, Oregon state, Missouri, I, I think clearly Arizona State's probably going to need to take one. And so uh, guys like him and Emory Jones are out there right now. I'm be curious to see, are there, you know, some of those players, um, you know, that are in battles right now, like a Miles Brennan, who, you know, do they, your Hudson card, do they have decisions to make here kind of post spring? Um, curious how many more guys go out there, but uh, you know, right now, number one and, and number one, the number one guy for a while now has been O'Shawn Mathis, the defensive end from TCU, who, uh, was really productive in Fort Worth, one of the Big 12's best pass rushers and, uh, you know, an, an all-conference type of player. And the assumption is that he's going to, te- to excuse me, going to Texas. Um, you know, Isn't there somebody else to be a TCU who went to Texas? I <laughs> and that's, um, you know, he posted some pictures from his visit to Texas that included, you know, Gary Patterson throwing the horns. And I just, uh, someday I will get used to that, but I'm not there yet. I'm, I, I don't know about you guys. It was I'm the just squat, not there yet. I think the squat threw everybody for a loop. <laughs> it wasn't the actual burnt orange. It was the squat. No, it was the burnt orange. It's no, kind it's- of the whole, it's, it's the whole thing. I mean, no, no disrespect, but it's just crazy to see it's for a guy that has, has just taken so much pride in the years in uh, humiliating Texas. Now he's, he's flipped sides. Um, so there's an assumption that Texas will take, you know, that, that Texas is the front runner there. Um, you know, I think Mathis has kind of pushed back against that. He put out a top five and, and had USC, Ole Miss, Nebraska, Penn state also on his list. So he could be taking more visits and exploring it, but I would, I would think probably uh, Texas is, is the move there, but you know, there's also right now, there's just a lot of younger players that were top recruits a year ago or two years ago. Um, that are in the portal right now. Kamar Wheaton from Alabama, the running back. Um, Chop Robinson just went in the portal from Maryland. Um, you know, the Terps lost another top recruit from their 21 class that was really highly rated. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, Josh White is another one that the linebacker from LSU just went in this week and has picked up uh, a bunch of offers. I think Baylor's in good shape there with his relationship to Dave Aranda. But, um, you know, there, it's 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 about time now for, I think, a bunch of maybe big names to to pop up here over the next few weeks. Bigger picture, in your opinion, which program has improved itself the most this offseason through the portal? The most, I think I love what Ole Miss has done. And I think that, uh, I mean, they've, they've kind of, at least offensively, they have um, 
you know, they've kind of loaded up with really good players at, at pretty much every spot there uh, in terms of not just filling, filling needs there, but, but also just upgrading the talent level. And I think they had some good takes on defense too. Obviously the, the, the highlight is, is Jackson dark, but um, I think the combo of, of Zach Evans and Ulysses Bentley at running back is, is, is really exciting. I think Michael Trigg is a guy that um, everybody wanted when he went in the portal coming out of USC at tight end. Um, I, I've been impressed by them. I, I think, I'm curious what you guys make of what SC is doing. Is that just a new, I mean, cause there's a lot that's going on. I think certainly you see it at LSU right now as well. Um, there's, there's a couple cases where there's programs that first of all, they intentionally didn't sign that many high school um, players on signing day because they're saving room for, uh, for transfers. But I it certainly seems like there are some coaching staffs that are taking over here and they are not hesitating to like, you know, let's go through spring and see what we've got They're They are hustling as much as they can to try and upgrade whatever problems they perceive with their roster. I feel like in there's a bunch that are, are more quantity over quality. Like if to me, I would not be surprised if the biggest impact transfer in the whole country next year is at Alabama. And that's Jamar Gibbs. I yeah, like guys I know who've been around him think he could win a Heisman there. Mm-hmm. Eli Ricks is, is talented. He's the corner. He's played a bunch in the SEC. You know, it's like they, they basically took three guys. I like what Arkansas did in the portal. Yeah, you know, I think I really like what what they did. As far as USC, I just think it comes back to, and we've talked a lot about this over the last like five months or seven months about just how bad the shape of the USC roster was. And they didn't. They don't have like, and it's, like it's big, quantity and quality you're talking about. Yeah, there. they don't have a lot of big time guys. They don't have hardly any big time guys on defense. And some of the ones who were like. It's unfortunate, but there was like a handful of highly ranked guys that they had on the roster, especially on defense, who nobody there thought could play. You know, they were just misevaluations in the, uh, you know, in the recruiting rankings. And then, but like, I do think obviously Caleb's the, the headliner and I think will be terrific. You know, you add Travis Dye, they lost Drake London, but they added a bunch of, you know, a bunch of other skill guys. I know. You know, just being out there, I know they think Jerry Rice's son, who who had some big moments at Colorado, yeah, they always have talent. So let's mm-hmm. see what Brendan can do. Um, but to me, you know, I think what gets forgotten, and I'm not saying you guys are doing this, but people forget USC was a four-win team last year. Not four wins in a six-game COVID year. Like, yeah. they, you know, in a... Like once Clay got help, help and they, once Clay it got wasn't fired, just... people kind of stopped watching well, it wasn't, and it was a four and eight, and it was a bad four and eight, like lots of yeah. games that they lost by 20 plus points. Like they were just flat out terrible. And it had team. one great player on it for most of the year. Like, and I'm not saying they would, if games that Drake, without Drake London, they would have gone, you know, because they, they won a couple of games handily, but he was the one thing that wasn't, that wasn't a mess there. And so when you, when people talk about what's Lincoln doing, I mean, he's got to patch up a ton of holes and, I think people are going to get lost in the quarterback and a really productive running back. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if they're going to really, really be a competitive team beyond, oh, they can, you know, win a, you know, very mediocre division and a mediocre conference. I mean, they're going to have to do a lot more than just, hey, we're, we're calling better plays. We're going to bring a real identity to a place that hasn't had an identity in a long time. Well, I think like, the transfer portal has completely changed the idea of rebuilding a program, right? Mm -hmm. In the past five years ago, we'll say you come in, you take over a program that just was terrible last year and has is clearly deficient in talent. 
and everybody, okay, this is going to take him a few years, right? He's got to build up his roster. He's got to recruit. Um, oh, and, and that first recruiting cycle, that first full recruiting cycle, oh, they're going to sign a great class and that's the foundation. Now you can get started on that foundation. Yeah. I sooner. remember when PJ Fleck got to Minnesota, he was talking about, you know, managing expectations. He was like, this isn't year one. This is year zero. Right. <laughs> like don't even count this one against me. That's how mm-hmm. bad a shape we're in. And it's going to take a few years, but and Lincoln Riley, you know, they're paying him. I don't know exactly what they're paying him. At one point it was reported $110 million. I don't know if that's accurate, whatever it is, it's enough to buy that ridiculous house, <laughs> right. you know, and he's in a major media market. And he, from the first press conference has not tried to say we're it's going to take time. He's we're going to win now. And, and so well, how would that feel? But think about what you just said, Stu. He's taken a bunch of transfers. We know it was a battle to, to get some of these guys. Why would, you know, you gotta, you, you can't steer clear of that. You know, if you expect kids to want to spend their last year there, they don't want to be part of a massive rebuild and say, Hey, by the way, guys, we were four and eight. If you watch the film, those guys stunk last year. No, I'm so, saying he could have taken the path of we're going to take our time and build our roster the way we want for the future. And, it, but it, just we emphasize may, how bad it was that yeah like but we might up. go five and seven for a couple of years but eventually we'll get there and he's mm-hmm. taking the opposite which is load up on the portal show everybody that we can be good this year i, I just don't think you can go sit there and say hey we're going to take 25 guys and develop it that way because this is a different question but like i'll ask i'll ask you max and Stu, you know weigh in as well but like so i'll Texas A&M just signed the highest ranked recruiting class in the history of, of modern mankind. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like if you had to guess what percentage of those players of those top hundred guys, do you think will end up staying there three years from now? Less than half. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like there's there are some spots there and and, and like I it's a credit to them. I, I think it's awesome. But like I think there's some spots in that class where it's like I think they took like six or seven D linemen. It's like not all of them can play at the same time. You know, and it's some just of them not to be good enough or whatever. And and, you know, I go back to the, you know, things, injuries, bad out. luck, all that. Yeah. Stuff. yeah. Just, so and I, I don't I'm not saying this just as an indictment of Texan. I'm just using them as an example of this. But I just think that when people talk about the portal, one of the things that's come up a lot with coaches that I know is you're getting much more developed and proven commodities than you are with trying to develop high school players. Like there was a offensive line class. It was terrible. Speaking of USC, it was a terribly ranked class. There's a couple of players in there, but by and large, they missed on a ton of guys and the idea of, Hey, we're going to develop it and keep in mind, Stu, like you, you brought up Lincoln Riley, the three, arguably the three best players Lincoln Riley ever coached at at, at Oklahoma. They weren't transfers. recruits. They were, I mean, they were recruits, right. but they weren't. They were all transfers. It was Baker, it was Kyler, and it was Jalen Hurts. So, I mean, why would he not? Why would he not? Well, you brought up Jimbo Fisher. He's an example of the the kind of like kind of old school approach I'm talking about. He got there in 2018. And it's been a gradual build and the fans are still all in. And he knew he signed a guaranteed 75 million. He knew he's in no danger of getting fired. So he's taken some transfers over the years, but for the most part, he's been doing it through recruiting and we're going to, we're going to, we might go eight and four, um, but that's okay. We're going to win a national championship eventually. Once I've signed, you know, five straight top five recruiting classes. 
I will say, so we did the recruiting re-rank in the winter and the best one for the 2018 class was Georgia. And obviously that one paid off with the national championship. The attrition rate on that Georgia class, which is, I got a ton of NFL players was still 40%. So I'm not saying that as like a knock on A&M that Jim was going to botch this or anything. That's just, that's just the nature of, and even when, you know, you look at the top 25 classes in terms of like how they played out, the average attrition rate on them was 40%. I mean, that's just kind of how it is now. And I think the interesting thing with SC and to, to what extent is this intentional and what extent is this just sort of going to be like the, 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 the effect of what you're doing is if you're going to go out and like restock with the portal, that's great. But you also have to like, you, you may be giving up players on your roster who are just like, no, I came here to play or I had a better role last year or whatever. And are going to go in the portal. So like you have to find a way to restock that while also trying to develop some depth in your program so that guys just aren't leaving and saying, Oh yeah, this guy came in and he's just kind of running us off to, to bring in his recruits. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I had an idea for a little little fun game. We're not going to force you to eat anything, Max. <laughs> but so when we talk about Gary Patterson in Burnt Orange, who actively now in college football would be the most like, I can't believe that guy is wearing that now. Like in terms of you just could not see them at this particular school. What would that combination be? I feel like it would be like, like, could you imagine Brian Kelly at LSU? <laughs> it's seriously that that there's real life answers to this um that one that one for me is i'm like, gonna throw yeah, out some examples you tell me which ones you think fit because i've thought about this first okay second. all right okay lane kiffin at notre dame mm-hmm. there's one like mike leach at joining gary patterson of texas mm. Eh, eh, okay, I, I don't find that as offensive, I guess. Yeah. Okay. And then my I, last... Offensive is not the right word. Jarring probably is what you're going for, right? And the last one I got is Jim Harbaugh at Ohio State. Well, if you're going to throw that in, I was about to say Urban Meyer at Michigan. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be... I think Jim Harbaugh at Ohio right State would be a bigger jolt than Urban Meyer at Michigan. I think they'd both be like meltdown kind of things. Which I mean, fan base would be the... more unhappy in that situation? What's that? Which fan base would be more unhappy in that situation? Yeah, Michigan fans would be twisting inside out with the thought of that. I mean, think about it. We're about to see this Duke UNC final four game. Imagine if you just swat like Mike Krzyzewski was the coach at UNC. I'm not going to use Hubert Davis because he's brand new, but suddenly Roy Williams came out of retirement and took over Duke. That's, that's the kind of thing you're talking about. That's how yeah. it feels with Gary Patterson and Burn Orange, huh? 
Yeah, a little bit. I mean, there's kind of because there's kind of the you, there's got to be kind of like an a little bit of like an element of, of of hatred there, right? In terms of uh, the, the switching sides part of it. Yeah, like when you said Lane Kiffin at Notre Dame, like that would be weird. But he's like, is he on record as some kind of Notre Dame hater? No, I don't think so. Um, I wanted to ask you, Max, about the Big 12. You know, the Big 12 cold. Uh, not necessarily on the field. Um, so, as you know, last summer when all hell was breaking loose, I caught a lot of flack from Big 12 fans because I did a deep dive on what their TV numbers mm. would be without Texas and Oklahoma, and it was pretty bleak. Like, the other teams, even though they've been very successful in many cases, like Baylor, Oklahoma State last year, um, they just don't draw TV viewers. And so because of that, I'm saying I was saying, you know, when their next TV deal comes up, I think it could get kind of ugly. You know, Bob Bowlesby himself said Texas and OU represent 50 percent of the value. Well, Nicole Auerbach, our colleague, had a story yesterday with uh, projections for what the conference payouts are going to be in the next five to seven years um, based on some research Navigate did. She also had a quote in there from John Orand of SBJ. And both indicate that the big tw- they're projecting the Big 12 to actually make more money, not much more money, but you know, keeping it flat or even a little bit better when the next TV deal comes up with this lineup. You talk to a lot of people in the Big 12. Do they, they think that's realistic? Well, I, yeah, I, there's, there's a couple different ways to look at that. I mean, that's something that when things were hitting the fan in July and August, I remember talking to one expert on this who said that you know when those deals get get struck they're they're kind of they're, they are kind of a little undervalued at the time they do them and they they accrue value you know year by year and obviously there's inflation and all that so in terms of like the money being you know similar um on a new deal like that's there's to some degree that's kind of expected but look i think bob bowlsby if he could go back and redo things um from the summer of 21 i think probably that comment to the texas legislature about they represent half of our value I think he'd probably, uh, you know, strike that, that one back. from the record. Yeah. yeah. Um, there, there is real concern. And we just did our big 12 fan survey last week. There's, there's real concern, um, not just about the sec and the big 10 running away from everybody else. Um, not just financially, but in, in through the whole structure of the sport, um, there, there's real concern that the big 12 deal needs to at least be on par with the, the pac 12 and the ACC deal that they need to feel like they are, um, you know, at least peers to those conferences when it comes to the, the, the revenue distribution um, to the conference and then down to the to the members. So, um, you know, this is without question when we when we pulled Big 12 fans about what's the like, what's the number one concern? They all understand it's money and it, and it, and it is the, the TV negotiations um, that, that Bob Bullsby and, and the conference need to, you know, do in, in uh, you know, in advance of the, the, the deal expiring in, in 2025. Um, I, I think the sense is right now, you know, optimism that the four new members are, you know, are the best they could have added, um, best available, and that they're going, they're going to, you know, add add some value to whatever that package ends up being. But it's hard to, you know, this is why there's also you see Mike Gundy and others kind of speculating about is the Big Twelve maybe going to still add two more members because they're it's hard to sit here and say today, you know, if you went out and, and added 
Memphis and Boise, for example, like how much, you know, more money does that drive for the conference and how much does that kind of, you know, when you're splitting the pie even more, does that actually help you? It's, it's hard to sit here and say how that's going to be valued by the, the TV networks in a few years. And, and ultimately that's kind of a lot of these decisions are going to be driven by what the TV side is willing to pay. Can I, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about this for a second. Cause just in full disclosure, I, I obviously work for Fox and there is, and you're, and you're integral to all these, all the deals. You're in the right? you're in the boardroom, right? You're in the room. <laughs> so, but I think when people looked at this and I, this is around the timeline you're talking about, Stu, because I had some discussions with some people at the power of five, at the group of five level on this, which is they would compare themselves to the bulk of what's left in, in the big 12, not to the top of the food chain programs. And we're talking about Texas and OU in that case. Like, what is the biggest potential? And I say potential, like if they're having a great year, TV draws we're talking about when it comes to the Big 12. Because Max, you just said, right. you just said the Pac-12. Look, obviously USC was garbage last year, but Lincoln Riley is a, is a, is a proven coach. USC's brand power is significantly like it's a gulf between USC and anything that's going to be remaining in the, in the big 12. I, my point sure. on this is I don't know who is there. Who's even close to when some of those other programs, and I'm not even talking about like, you know, even you get in the ACC, you know, if Miami's good, Miami's a big ass TV draw. Florida state is different than those other places. Cause we've seen, when they're good, people mm-hmm. tune in and I'm not, I'm, they tune in when they play each other. I'm not talking about like another school's playing Texas when Texas is, you know, really good. Or, you know, it's like, if you're talking about when they play each other, that's not one of those top two, you know, is there a draw? That's to me the hardest problem of this. And I ultimately think, you know, pro- projections are great, but somebody has to pay for it. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody has to pay for it. And I'm interested to say, who do you guys think is really going to be able to be that big kind of bell cow? Because from that standpoint, I mean, they don't I, have that they, anymore. They don't, but I mean, who's the closest to that? Well, and that, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, this is kind of the problem. That, and look, there's not a school that could go out and add in August of 2021 that you would say, oh, that's as good as Texas or Oklahoma. That's just, that's just not possible. Oh, it's not even close. Though, somebody's going to have to build themselves to that the way right. Oregon built themselves over time or Clemson, you know, somebody that wasn't considered part of the hierarchy that has since broken through. And, and this is a big concern for the for the conference is I think you can look at it on paper and say, like, man, that's like a hell of a conference from a football and basketball standpoint. If you're just talking about like, you know, potentially like quality of like number of successful programs and stuff, but um, you, you know, and, and you're right. I mean, you're right, Bruce, the b- bottom line. I, I think that like the, for, for I, I've certainly believed the big 12, um, you know, needs an eight or 12 team playoff as soon as possible, because yeah. you need access, you, you know, you're, it's going to be a conference where it's going to be very hard to go undefeated as it's been over the last decade. And um, you know, you need kind of guaranteed access to that postseason a little bit. And then hopefully you have a team that's good enough to make that run. But no, I don't think there's going to be a program that, um, you know, wins six in a row like Oklahoma did recently. I, I just don't think that's going to be the case. I think there's going to be ups and downs with it. And I think there's going to be some programs 
whether it's Oklahoma state or, you know, um, uh, Baylor or Cincinnati or who, you know, who UCF, whoever you want to say, there's going to be some that really benefit when, when they're out of Texas and Oklahoma shadow, but there's a reason they cast it such a big shadow because, you know, they are, they're brands. You just like, can't become overnight. I think there's two things that that's, you know, look, things have stabilized since last summer. We didn't, there were rumors at the time that the AAC might raid the big 12 until Bowlesby <laughs> accused the SPN of some sort of, you know, tortious interference. Who, yeah. that? Uh, I think, I think once they got their new members, it, it, it kind of, maybe he realized like, Oh, we might need ESPN to get on this. Those, those sorts yeah. of things you, you tend to sort of, uh, uh, heat of the moment, the right? ball to the lawyers a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't um, know. <laughs> well, two things. So they got, I, I think that uh, not only did they get good replacements, but then of those replacements, Cincinnati goes to the playoff, you know, months later that one of the new teams you're bringing in goes to the playoff tremendously raises their profile. If they could stay in the mix for the next couple of years before they negotiate the TV deal, that would certainly help. Um, and then the other thing is I think they're sitting in the right position in the order. So the big 10 is the big one coming up. Everybody, every TV network is going to throw all of their money at the big 10 in hopes of getting it. Not everybody's going to get it. Whoever gets left out of that suddenly is like, Oh, well, if we want to be still be part of college football, we have two choices, the PAC 12 and the big 12. That's, that's all that's left at that point. Um, maybe they could get more demand than they would have if they were going for bidding right now. But by, by the way, so this is something that like I, I did this big 12 survey last week. I, I read through, you know, like a thousand responses from, from big 12 fans when I asked them, what's their biggest concern for the future. And you guys are the right people to ask, I think for this um, there's the money concern. Obviously there's like the, you know, is there going to be more realignment um, or, you know, is, is, and, and are we going to get poached? There's all that kind of stuff, but there was like a real concern about like, how much respect is the new big 12 going to get? And, and it's specifically like, I, I got a lot of comments from people being like, how are national media going to talk about this conference? And like, how's ESPN and the playoff committee, like how, like what's the, not just the perception, but then like the way that, that, that we get sort of like, is it seen, deemed talked as about or not, or like, I mean, so I, I, I want to ask you guys, like, how do you see, how, how do you think relative to the power five, we will be talking about the big 12 in a few years? That's a good question. How will you talk about them? Will you say they're the worst of the five? This is a different, like, I feel like there's layers to what you're saying, Max, because I'm thinking when you say ESPN and we've all worked there in some capacity, but, and I think Max, you and I, I oh yeah, I guess as an intern, I do. You interns do. So I never got invited to the meetings where like the media agenda was set for, for the whole sport. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so I didn't, I didn't, I just did, I just had a job there. But the, what, what does happen is when they lost hockey or when, when they didn't keep hockey, whatever it was, like it wouldn't be, and I know people don't surf much anymore on the internet, but like NHL would not be one of your tabs right there. And even though it's a, it's a little thing, well, they have hockey now. Hockey's a bigger deal. It's shown on ESPN's air. It kind of gets in people's heads a little more. I'm not saying it's made hockey fans out of people who weren't it. But I think there's a conscious thing to, hey, we need to put this in the rotation and get in people's heads, whether it's from promotions while you're watching some other sporting event, that kind of thing. Um, In the case of Fox, 
you know, it's really, we have three conferences right now. The ACC is not one of them. And now the SEC, you can't avoid the SEC, but to large, you know, we talk a lot about the big 10 we talk, you know, a, a good amount about the PAC 12 and the big 12, but it's relative. I think what's different is when we're talking about like us at the athletic, you know, I imagine we're going to still cover it robustly, just like, you know, we did, if the teams are good, the stories are good. I mean, you're like been the mayor of Lubbock for like three years. If you're not that in Ames, you know, those have been two places. Oh, I'm pretty sure that the the breweries and Ames have drinks named after him at this point. But, but I I think that actually, we got the tech expert. I mean, that's a big draw. So I, I think the athletic, you know, and I'm not tooting our horn intentionally here, but I think we'll still cover it you know, very actively. I don't know. I think what I'm long-windedly saying here is from the TV side of it, I'm not sure how much beyond the places that actually have the rights to it are going to be invested enough to like really talk about it in anywhere near like, you know, ESPN talks about the STC in anywhere near, you know, Fox is going to talk about the big 12. I just think it's different. So you'll still have the, the print coverage. But I think when it comes but, to the but the right deal will right. help dictate yeah. sort yeah. of that that at the top top TV level. For it sure. would probably behoove the big even even though he made those comments would probably behoove the big 12 to stay in business with ESPN, because if they're not, let's, let's say they're just on like they do their next deal and their games are on Fox and CBS Sports Network, like they will become the Mountain West to ESPN. Right. They want they want to have a reason to promote them. But we're talking about, I want to be clear, like we're talking about TV value and TV numbers on field. The big 12, the new big 12 could be just as good, if not better than the PAC 12 and ACC, you know, it's mm-hmm. in fact, BYU, one of the teams that's coming into the big 12 went like five and zero against the PAC 12 last year. You know, it's right. I don't think on the field, unless all these programs go in the tank, I mean, big 12 has got some good coaches. Um, Very good. Yeah. You know, yeah. that now, do they all stay? You know, we saw a little bit of a, you know, run to the hills a little bit last. Well, we didn't see a run to the hills. We saw schools cut bait with coaches like Gary Patterson because they want to make sure they've got the right guy in place for when this this all happens. But, yeah, I I think you're seeing that. Um, you saw that at TCU and at Texas Tech, where I think there's a real recognition that like this is not a good time to be mediocre because you you know in a couple of years you don't know the the, the plates may shift again and and. Um, you know, we, I think no one kind of knows what's going to come next in in terms of the realignment. And honestly, I think that that has a lot to do with the way that Oklahoma state is taking care of Mike Gundy. I think they, they feel like we need continuity and we need to continue to invest in the things we're doing well, because, um, there's a pretty healthy fear, uh, uh, definitely among the eight remaining members there, um, that, uh, we need to be as good as, and as appealing as we can, because, you know, that there is that. You, you go through that experience in, in July and August where you kind of find out from the public that like there's a perception that there's not a lot of added value with these members. And so, um, yeah, very good coaches in the league right now and uh, and good ones coming in. And I, I think it's going to be a very competitive conference. And I don't you know, will like will the conference champion like if if we're talking like a four team playoff set of like, will the conference champion be respected as like a, a, a team that came out of a really hard schedule? Like, I think so, but I, I, I guess we'll see sort of how, how the, the narrative around the conference kind of gets shaped. I think as long as your champion is undefeated or one loss, you're going to be in the mix. Like 
and some of that will be dictated by how do they do how do they do in non-conference games. Um, yep. But hey, just in this past bowl season, they they beat Notre Dame in a bowl game. They beat uh, a ten win Ole Miss SEC team in a bowl game. Um, let's not make it seem like these guys are are uh, down bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like th- these are quality football teams. Do they have a national champ? I guess that's the thing. Like, is there a program? that's going to still be in the big 12 that could win a national championship. That is tough. Cause they don't, yeah. like when you did that story last summer of looking at who was left and you looked at their average recruiting rankings, wasn't it like nobody had an average top 25 class? No. And that's, that's where it's like, it's, it's um, yeah, exactly. And, and, and I think that certainly if you're at, at Houston and Cincinnati and UCF and BYU, you're going to think, all right, we're going to recruit at a higher level in this new conference for sure. But no, there's not a program in that league that's going to recruit at a top 10 level, um, even in, in, a, in like a one or two year kind of run. I don't think. I mean, how do, if you guys had to bet today, is there one that you think like is the like you'd put your money on over this like next decade? Is it is it a TCU or an Oklahoma State or Baylor? Like who's the most successful one? If I had to guess on that, I would say either Baylor or TCU they're in big um, talent rich areas yeah Baylor's had success now with three different head coaches um, now the question is can how did can Dave really sustain it because he last year with the exception of Apu was was pretty much Matt rule players but you know at Oklahoma State as good a job as Gundy's done Gundy's been there for a long long time you know, and he's done a really good job, but I don't see them all of a sudden having a bunch of top six ranked classes at this stage. All they, they've sudden. recruited as well as they can there, I think. Yeah, that's my. They've won a lot of games over the last decade, and it didn't turn them into a top. You know, they were always going to play second fiddle to OU in Texas in terms of which recruits came there. So, can I go with a little contrarian answer? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think as long as Luke Fickles at Cincinnati, they have a chance to be the top program in that conference because they have their own recruiting niche separate from all the Texas schools that are fighting in the same pool. Um, They already are able to say, Hey, we made a playoff. None of the other current big 12 schools did. Um, But again, like if Luke fickle gets hired away by whoever next year, it's not a guarantee they would stay at that level. There's a problem to that Stu. And I, you know, we all have a lot of respect for Luke fickle, but I think he is the coach at Cincinnati and most like, I feel like, and they may, and this is not meant as a knock on them, but what you're talking about is top 10, top seven or eight recruiting classes. I feel like the ceiling for that is recruiting the way Mark D'Antonio did at Michigan State, where almost all the top kids in your area, you know, they're going to want to be Buckeyes. And there's going to be a handful who are going to want to go in that area to Penn State or to Michigan or to Notre Dame. And, you know, in Chicago, they're going to end up getting, you know, Wisconsin, you know, it's just like, I think it's going to be hard to get consistently even into the top 20 when keep in mind, most of those kids, if not all of them did not grow up wanting to play in the big 12. They, they grew up on big 10 football. So again, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I just think it's going to be really, really hard to recruit at the level that you guys are, are talking about. Right, because it it, it it kind of like it would be very cool to see if Fickle stays for for you know long term. Can they become a program that is is beating a Kentucky and a Michigan State and some of those schools that 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 
pick up like the, I don't want to say second tier players in that state because they're very good players. Um, but can, can you both like out evaluate the schools in the region and those kids like would rather go to your school than, than go play in the big 10. Yeah. It's going to be, uh, it's a, it's a fascinating challenge and, and you need continuity as a staff to be able to, to actually build that. All right. Also, well, most okay, of the players we're talking about, they're not, you know, except for the home games, they're not going to be able to drive to those games. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a long way to go to Ames. It's a really long way to go to Lubbock and to go to Provo. And, you know, there's just, I think that matters for some of that. Whereas in the big 10, I mean, Stu, you grow up there. Um, I guess technically we could say you did too, Max, just because being a Nebraska guy, but um, you saw a lot of legendary big 10 games. Yeah. So you're right up there. I, I had uh, one semester in the big 10 in college. So yeah, a little bit. It's a Big Ten degree. Wait, really? God, Nebraska's been in the Big Ten a long time, huh? Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. I got to that. That was that was fun. I was, um, you know, that would be fall fall of twenty eleven, and Nebraska had some good road trips that year. They went up to Wisconsin uh, and and got uh, absolutely shredded by uh, Russell Wilson. Wow! All right, that's cool. You were at that Um, game. What was it like to cover Bo Pelini for the student newspaper? I found, like, I think, you know, Bruce, like I can, I can get along with most coaches. I found him very intimidating. He was just, it's like one of those as a young kid at like the press conference, he, he would do the thing where if you just like kind of say the one wrong word in the question, then he, then he might, you know, he might go at you, you know? And so, and I'm not, 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 like just an innocent question, but if it's poorly worded, he, he, you know, if he's in that kind of mood, it's not going to go well for you. So, um, or he'll give you like a, what do you think? And, you know, of course that throws off every reporter. So um, yeah, I found him, I found him to be pretty, pretty about, intimidating. As a what about Carl? Kid. What about Carl? Carl's cool. Yeah. Carl was cool to deal with. Yeah. I, I always had good conversations with him, but yeah, I don't know. There was just something about, there's something about Bo that uh, you didn't want to screw up in front of him. I could see that. So then you eventually became co-workers with Fopolini and mm-hmm. I'm sure that you, uh, have you, I don't know, do you swap stories? <laughs> I, I don't have, thankfully, like, and, and that's just me cowering in fear in the back of the huddle there. Right. Like I, I don't have the one bad, Oh man, I, I really goofed up that question to Bo. I, I just tried to tried to not, not cross him, uh, too much, which, uh, which worked out. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> I, I really haven't seen him. Uh, I, I don't think I've run into him since he's, he, he's left Nebraska and I'm sure he would not remember me. Okay, Stu back to the podcast in a second, but now a word from our sponsor LinkedIn talent solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional 
on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Bruce, we got to answer some emails. Is it okay if we uh, answer them to Max? No, let, I was going to say if we could let Max go about his day. But Max, do you want to answer some questions here? Uh, sure. I can I help. Feel, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm bringing somebody to the, uh, to the Thanksgiving dinner that Stu doesn't want right now. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I'm don't have a chair for him. I'm Bruce. happy to have him. We've recorded hundreds of episodes of this. I don't know if we've ever. Well, Max, had a guest go high chair that Stu's going to make. Have we ever had a guest go the distance? Let's try give it a shot. Um, who are who are we? we? We don't have any magic answers to this. Okay, as always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. I got to tell you, Max, I'm starting you off with a with a doozy. Uh, Mike Didana, after reading the Athletics' terrific piece on Urban Meyer, I have to ask, how did the college football media miss this? Were there no indications of this type of behavior? It seems too often the media equates winning with being a good human. Okay, Max, explain yourself. That's why you're here. <laughs> I, I can start to get get the conversation I, going. I mean, uh, one you thing know is, oh man, I have I got lunch plans with Mitch today. I, I don't know, maybe I need to hop off here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, one big difference ahead, between covering the NFL and covering college, like a lot of the dirt that came out about Urban at Jacksonville, was from players talking to reporters off the record. Right. Um, I talked to a player, maybe, maybe the, or maybe the agent of the player. We just don't have those kind of relationships with college players. They're younger. They're not there very long. They're very restricted in their media access. We don't have open locker rooms like they do in the NFL. So, and then of course those players are going to be much less likely to speak poorly of their coach because the coach has a lot of power in that dynamic. I, I think the thing that I've noticed and I haven't covered pro football, so I, I may, I may be misreading this, but I think the thing with college football players is they feel like they owe their head coach respect and deference. And that you see it. If you've, if you've ever gone to press conferences in like the team meeting room, it's always, there's always that sign of like, you know, what happens in here and what's said in here stays in here. And I think college football, per, college football per, like players abide by that. And you often don't hear them kind of like spill on stuff they saw and heard, even if over the course of four or five years, they probably see and hear a lot of stuff uh, and probably not great stuff. Um, the difference, I think, in the pro level is when stuff happens, the player goes to their agent and the agent goes to a, a reporter and yep. it gets out. And I think we saw that with 
Um, you know, when John Beeline was the coach of the Cavs, like it, same thing happened in the NBA. Like I think at the pro level, guys don't automatically owe Urban Meyer respect because he shows up with college rings and um, or deference or anything like that. And if they see stuff that they that they think is wrong, then it's going to get out. Yeah, think about the the difference in the power dynamic there. A college player feels like, oh gosh, if I speak up, I could lose my scholarship. An NFL player who goes to his agent, like, what are they going to do? Provoke his cut him? Probably not. You know, the, the the player has a lot of power there. And I and I would just add, like, I think it's very clear, like, and he even has, I think, admitted it in some ways, like that was also like the worst possible version of urban Meyer last year in Jacksonville, like that he could not handle the losing like whatsoever, even preseason losses. I think that it was just a, a, a huge departure from the experience he had at Ohio state and other places. And uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that to excuse any behavior, but, but certainly um, you know, I think the Jacksonville players, not only did they not owe him respect, but uh, they were not, uh, they were not seeing the same, probably the uh, totally the same urban Meyer that, uh, you know, was so successful at the college level. The next question, guys, is from Tom in Delray Beach. All of the Power Five Florida schools seem to be in some form of a transition period at the moment. Not one school finished in the top 25 last year, which seems impossible to me. That said, the new coaching staffs at Miami and Florida have brought quite a bit of optimism this offseason. In your opinion, which of the Power Five schools, I'll include UCF, as they are headed to the Big 12, are in position to compete for the national title the quickest? Hmm. None of them are in a particularly great position right now. So it's like, which one you've got a first year coach of Florida, a first year coach at Miami and a coach of Florida state who could go either way at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I'm not going to answer Florida state, but which of Florida and Miami's new coaches gets it going quicker. Um, You got which which roster of those two you think is in better shape, Bruce? Well, full disclosure, I went to Miami, right? And so, but mm-hmm. to me, Miami is an easier answer here. We know Mario Cristobal can recruit in a, at a high level. We know he knows this landscape better than anybody. The other part that I think is worth noting is he doesn't got Georgia in his division. You know, yeah. he doesn't have yeah. to beat Alabama. The SEC, it's going to take a while to com- be able to compete with everybody in there and not, not have your stumbles. Right now, you've got Clemson. And Clemson, by the way, just had a down year. Um, and then it's up for grabs Pitt, NC state. They're good right now, but they're not certainly programs that people think are going to be national title contenders. I mean, Miami has a very talented quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke. I don't think they have enough to be a legit top 10 team right now. But as we talked about a little bit ago with USC going to the portal, Miami actually had done pretty well. It's like USC in this regard. It is a destination place in a big market with a lot of history. So I think it can attract some players. And it's also like USC. It's a place where a lot of talented players not only grew up probably hearing about, but a lot of them are from Florida. Maybe the chance to come back home could be, could be appealing. I think it's an, e- I think it's an easy answer. I'm not saying Mario Cristobal is going to win a national title in the next three years, but I think they have the best chance of the three. I, I would agree with that. And I, I think, um, there's an interesting conversation we had there about like, which job would you rather have of those two? Cause I think I'd probably rather have Miami just be, for those reasons you said, Bruce, in terms of the, the conference you're in, but also, you know, of, of these ones, like, um, you know, certainly, um, Billy Napier and Mike Norvell have been, you know, ha- have led like conference title level programs, but 
you know, Mario Cristobal just, just, you know, won Pac-12 titles at, at, at Oregon. So I think he comes in with, I'm not saying the blueprint's the same, but certainly when you have that, that proven experience of actually doing it before, um, I, I think he's got uh, kind of the right lessons figured out from Oregon on, on what to do and what not to do in, in, in terms of um, getting this thing rolling pretty quickly. I think I agree with you guys, but if I was going to raise the counterpoint for Florida, it would be we have a little bit of a short memory, not last season, but the season before. Florida was high top 10 and in the mix to possibly play in the playoff until that LSU game. You know, like what, the, what did they finish with, Stu, though? They finished poorly because they lost their last three games. But late into the season, they were in contention. And part of that is just being in the SEC. You know, you, you, you're going to have like they lost a game fairly early in the season to AM, and it just is almost like it didn't by the end of it, it didn't happen. Right. Whereas in the ACC, there's just no margin for error. Miami loses an early season game to uh, Pitt and then turns around and gets on a streak. And they're probably on the outside looking in in that playoff argument. Okay. Let me uh, pivot on this because we're talking Florida for a second. So I think and I can't speak for for you, Max, but I know Stu and I both think pretty highly of Billy Napier. I think he did a really good mm-hmm. job there. I think he's a good coach. He obviously knows the landscape from his time in the SEC as a Nick Saban assistant at Alabama and certainly was at was in Lafayette and did very well in the Sun Belt. Brian Kelly has done a great job wherever he's been. How much like do you how close do you think it was if you were the AD and I'm not saying, you know, Brian Kelly is obviously much more proven, but he's also 60 and he's in a he's never been in the SEC. Do you think it's a slam dunk? He was the much better choice going forward or is it close? I think that um, like I haven't lived in Louisiana, so I think there's probably some dynamics to that that I probably wouldn't fully understand, but. For me, like if I were the AD of LSU, I'm not saying Scott Woodward did a bad job with this, but if I were if I were the AD of LSU, I'm not sure I would be like snobby about we can't the, the coach of Louisiana can't be the coach of LSU. I, I I don't think I would in that situation, especially when um as we've seen, I mean, look, like we, we, we you have cited it plenty of times, Bruce, about you know what the last three coaches of LSU have done. I think LSU is is a it's not an easy job. It's definitely not. I mean, it can kind of be a viper pit, but the the you are set up to succeed there in a lot of ways. And I think that Billy Napier at, at LSU um, would have done probably would have done really well. And I'm not saying Brian Kelly can't, but um, yeah, I, I for me that would have been a. I, I, we know Scott Woodward was 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 you know big game hunting game obviously, hunting, yeah. um, and that's that's part of the that's part of the job is is to make an hire make a hire that people find impressive, but. Um, I, I certainly, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I think that that's like such a bad stigma if they had hired the coach of Louisiana. And I think that going forward, I could see anything happening between those two. I could see Napier going on to have great success and maybe Brian Kelly turns out to be a bad fit at LSU. But if you're him and you're going to spend all that money, Brian Kelly is definitely the safer pick because he has won everywhere he's been, including at a, very upper echelon program in Notre Dame. We've seen a lot of group of five coaches who seem like the next great thing. And then they get up to the higher level and they don't succeed. So I don't think Billy Napier will be one of those guys. He's had such great, he has such a great background of having worked for coaches like Nick Saban and Davo Swinney. He seems very, you know, he, he wasn't uh, 
you know, Tom, Texas hired Tom Herman off basically like one and a half good seasons. Billy Napier had a nice bit longer run at Louisiana, but it's flip a coin, right? With these hot group of five coaches, whether they will, whether it will work at the next level or not. Brian Kelly has shown it works. <laughs> so, you know, over a long period of time at Notre Dame. So he's, if you're going to pay a coach nine, $10 million a year, he's, he's the safe bet. Whether that turns out to be true, we shall see. Uh, let's wrap with this one from Andrew Miller, who, who says he's in middle of nowhere America. So uh, I wish he could be more specific. Maybe he's wow. in, is he in like the witness protection? I thought program? you were about to diss me, Stu. Keep I, going. I thought okay. you were about to diss somebody, Stu. So I'm glad you did. Oh, Lincoln is not middle of nowhere America. It's middle of America, but it's middle. Uh, it's, it's hopping. It's hopping. I hear you got, you know, got Runza. You've got, uh, you know, you got a lot of good things going on there, right? Do you have a torch last there? time you, you got, came a, to, you got to a movie theater? Do you have a torchies, Max? You know what? That's a longer conversation, Bruce. Um, Lawrence has a, a torchies. Kansas City has several torchies. Um, it's time for torchies to come to, to Lincoln or at least Omaha. I know they're on this tear of expanding into college areas. So I would, you would think Lincoln they're, would be a they're no-brainer. In, they're in Colorado. They're in Kansas City. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're in Oklahoma. They're just basically circling here. It's got to happen. All right. The last time I was in Lincoln, by the way, would have been about a decade ago. So I'm sure really? a lot of oh, great things game? have come. Um, or was it an offseason question? You haven't been to Lincoln in over a decade? Well, I'm not a sideline reporter who's flying in and out every week. Uh, well, I definitely remember. I don't know if this was the last game, but I definitely remember being there. There was this big right in the, in the middle of conference realignment. Nebraska and Texas were like mortal enemies and they were going to play, you know, this is the, you know, first time since that they're playing in the middle and Texas beat them in Lincoln. And then Texas went, ended up going like five and seven. So it was, uh, gosh, that was like 2010, 2011, something like that. Mm-hmm. Huge revenge game. Uh, Garrett Gilbert went off in that one. I believe you recall. He did. Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> Gosh, it's been a minute since you were. It's been a minute, but (laughs) was was streaming a different game while I was in the press box. No, no, no. I, I, no, we weren't. No, Bruce, we couldn't do that back. We couldn't do that yet on our computers, you know. But I have nothing. I have nothing but good. Just to be clear, I have nothing but good things to say about Lincoln. Uh, So, Andrew Miller, appreciate the pod and that you. Okay, with the portal offering quick fixes to a program and NIL promising financial incentives to the top recruits. Who are some of the programs, coaches that actually develop players? It's easier to make a competitive program out of four and five star athletes, but who makes the most with the least? Who develops the diamonds in the rough? Bruce, who stands out to you? I, I did a study on this last summer. I'm going to pull it up, but who stands uh, out to you? Since Bruce? he says, and he, uh, you know who does? Northern Iowa. I'm going to say them because they they take 220 pound tall skinny farm boys and have turned them and they're back-to-back years turn them into high round draft picks and i think it's really hard to do that i'm not saying it's easy to do what what like a lot of other programs do but i feel like what happens in the missouri valley max there's a receiver in fargo and you ought to keep an eye on that Mm -hmm. guy so Mm -hmm. i should have had him on my freaks list i didn't that's that's on me but I feel like you consistently see it, whether whether it's in Brookings, whether it's in Fargo or wherever it is, the Missouri Valley has a knack for 
for doing that more like the gap between that is is really impressive so i'm going to say give me the missouri valley on that but the other school i want to say is utah utah mm-hmm. like there's the devin lloyds i mean i'm working on a on a draft story that'll be out in a few days and it's almost impossible that like i talked to a half dozen coaches to find anybody to say anything that's not glowing about devin lloyd and we see okay. it time and time again where these these players that go there, you know, turn out to be really, really, really um, high level college players. And I just think they have a great feel for it. And I think it's the culture of what happens probably when they get to that program. So I did this last year. I looked at um, I compared uh recruiting you know like recruiting rankings um and just in terms of like a like a four-year um span versus you know the four-year Massey rankings just to see like who actually like overachieved underachieved and i'll, I'll give you this list of, of 10 schools here that that overachieved iowa state iowa wisconsin boston college northwestern oklahoma state kansas state wake forest utah indiana I think that the trend there is like kind of the Midwestern schools, really, you know, like there's, there's a lot of schools that just don't, you know, certainly if you're like at Iowa or Wisconsin, like you can, you can win the battle for like the five-star in-state guy, you know, not most of the time, but, but you have a chance at them. Um, but you just don't have access to these SEC guys. You just don't. And so you have to find the three-star guys that 24 seven is, is underrating. But I would say, I mean, Oklahoma State certainly stands out because they don't they don't intend to to, to sign top twenty five classes. They they don't. I mean, they just and and I know not everyone's going to like agree with that approach, and it probably drives people like Ari crazy. But like they they are they know that there are certain guys that go to OU, and they kind of don't want those guys. They want the best in state. They want good players from Texas and from the junior college ranks in the portal. And that's kind of that's kind of how you build a roster right now, especially when you just no matter how successful you are, you don't have access to. A, the guys that are highly rated, and, and now B, the guys that, that uh, you know, want to be paid for their signature. We saw Utah go toe-to-toe with Ohio State and all their five stars uh, in the Rose Bowl, even while having to play a running back at cornerback. Kyle Whittingham's last four classes, uh, 42nd, 30th, 34th, 38th. I think uh, definitely definitely qualifies on the short list. So you agree sure. with Utah then? Oh, for sure. Um, I agree with, with all of those on the list, except for maybe Northwestern. Um, not really seeing it's, a, it's just a, sticking a big... in your craw about Kyle Prater and Hunter Johnson, isn't it? I mean, who bugs you more, Ravel or to be associated with you, or Hunter Johnson <laughs> and Kyle Prater? I just feel like if you're if we're going to give somebody credit for developing underrated players, you should occasionally have like more than they had Rashawn Slater and uh, uh, Greg Newsom go in the first round last year. And it was like the first time. In- they, 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 they gave Notre Dame, Brandon Joseph, Jeremy Brandon Joseph yeah. is a good player. Yeah. But for the gave, most part, um, what's uh, Ben Skoranek, you know, that's what I was just going to say. Yeah. 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 I mean, they, they, they'll, they'll have like, you know, like the, the scattered hits like that, but we're not, not to the level of some of these other schools we're talking about. You know, it's interesting, Max. Uh, we're going to talk about you for a second too. Like I have, an added appreciation from this podcast for Pat Fitzgerald, because it's given me a window into the national or the sports writer 
who really dumps on Northwestern because they like, like you hold him to a different level of scrutiny or that program than you do other programs. You're saying like, like the self-loathing Northwestern fans, like set a, set a too high of a standard. It's a little bit like for the average fan, they probably don't have like, I don't know if, you know, like poor Mick McCall, like, you know, like there's like people that I feel like Stu doesn't get worked up about them, but be, but like, because it's his alma mater. And I feel like there's a lot of other sports writers because, you know, that's a top four school when it comes to sports writer journalism. And so you have a lot of people who have that affinity for it and they're out there and they're prominent and they just kind of, they get worked up. I just think it's two of the last three years have been pretty, pretty miserable. So this hasn't happened, but it would be, I've heard before from people, Bruce, like um, they've like seen Pat Fitzgerald speak. And these, these are like people at like, you know, big power five schools and be like, Oh man, that would be like, if we could ever hire him someday, that'd be awesome. And you know, it obviously hasn't happened. Do you think if he like became a free agent, like people would be surprised by how many schools would want to hire him? Oh, I th- I mean, I think most tried. Of a really good coach. I mean, the, you always hear the only place he might leave for would be the bears. Right. So the Packers tried to hire him a couple years ago. Michigan tried to hire him in the coaching search that led to Brady Hoke. Um, he's a great coach. I, I don't want to, he, he, what he's done there is absolutely remarkable over the duration of his tenure. Things have hit, things have stagnated a little bit recently. So, um, why do you think that is? Cause we heard so much about how their new facilities were going to be a game changer. Well, isn't, I, I heard it was like right on the water. Isn't that's, it? <laughs> isn't that the ultimate proof of something I've always said? This, buildings don't win football games. It, like all the bells and whistles and everything, like doesn't does not win you football games it, it seems to me like they need a quarterback quarterback <laughs> that that would be helpful and receivers yeah 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 there's been a real they used to actually they had a pretty good run for a long time of like sneaky good receivers like ben skronik um mm-hmm. they just haven't they haven't had any of them recently um as always you can send your emails to the audible pod at gmail.com we can't promise that max will be on here to answer them every week you, you might just what's have the, to what's the next settle for me and Bruce. Challenge but... you and I are going to be doing. See, that, that was the that was the brilliant thing about. I, and I'm sorry, Stu, that we almost made you puke. I, I never want to try and do that to you. We we didn't consider that. I just have as such we a such a. Um, it's it was you know if you've been doing like some, some other fast food up, but like fillet of fish sandwiches in particular. Here's the thing. Like I, I learned I learned an important lesson that day. Andy Staples has so many reps in his career at eating and reacting to eating like on, like on air, right? Like that guy is very good at eating something and giving you like strong opinions and descriptions and stuff like that. And uh, I just don't have that kind of experience. So we need to leave that stuff to Andy. I think it should be pivoting a little bit to like, I used to work with somebody who was the, if you raised enough money, he would eat like a pan of bacon fat kind of thing. I think that's where you guys need to take Ari. Just like dares. Dares. I mean, when he ate that. Dares and bets. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying here, here, Ari's going to eat like you have to eat five pounds of Alpo or something, but (laughs) I just think you would, you would, you would break through another level of audience. I I, I think you're probably right. You need to, 
they, they have an opportunity on that podcast to really go in that direction and monetize the YouTube and just really, you know, really kind of uh, spin this off into uh, insane food dares. Yeah, that's that show is definitely better suited for YouTube than ours, right? Where it's just like the two Bruce is always on that couch in a T-shirt. You know, I, I I'm in my fleet. Like nobody wants to watch this. Is there even but, is there a mic near you, Bruce? I can't tell. No, there actually isn't. But there's a pile of laundry right there. So yeah, like <laughs> Andy's got the whole setup. Like he he's clearly like he's got the Adam Schefter setup going. Like is that is a made for TV podcast, right? And and especially when you introduce people doing food dares. I think for the production production value over there, Bruce, you, you sound pretty good. Thank you. I've, I've, uh, we've had issues with our internet for a long time, but now it's actually Stu who's the one who's struggling with that. So it's, it's well, we made it through today, I think. So that's all good. Yeah. All right, Max, thanks so much for taking over, uh, gosh, well over an hour of your time with us today. Yeah, I wasn't joking. I actually did have lunch plans with Mitch, and now I'm about 40 minutes late to those. So, oh, Mitch. Sorry, Mitch. Ho- hopefully, oh, you listen. Our bad. Sorry about that, Mitch. <laughs> Are you at least going? Are you at least going to Runza? We are. No, we are. uh, We are going to Muchachos for lunch. Shout out to Muchachos. Hopefully, it'll be free now that you got a plug in for them. Are they a sponsor for the pod? I don't know. Probably not. (laughs) Not that we know of. Not yet. Not, Not yet. All right. We'll see you next time. 